This Tuesday, Ireland head to Sweden in a bid to keep their World Cup hopes alive. Five yards out, in towards O'Sullivan with the header! And the hat-trick! Full live and exclusive commentary on Tuesday at 5.30, only on OTB Sports Radio. OTB AM With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Daniel Harris is with us. Good morning to you, Daniel. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Um, is is Ten Hag now, or whoever is coming next, is that like the the only thing that can somehow puncture the end of this horrible season? That It's like, okay, well, this is now officially over and we can start thinking and planning for the future. Because it, it, it does seem like it's a, an interminable purgatory end of days that is going to... It's like a, a non-stop omnibus of Samuel Beckett. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not it's not good, is it? And um, it's what's so baffling about this is that like we've all had we've all skived at work, and the idea that footballers don't skive, shouldn't skive, never skive is it's not really a sensible one. And I always use the same example to illustrate this one. Sometimes you watch a fight, and one of the fighters gasses, and the punishment for gassing in a fight is extremely severe. Obviously, you get a hiding. And people still do it. So that is a kind of testament and a tribute to human laziness, human desire to do less than the maximum. So you sort of understand it. If you can understand it at that level, and you have to understand it because it happens, and you can sort of understand it with footballers too. But what is weird and difficult to understand about these is that all, not all of them, but a lot of them are going to be around next season. Do they not want to play in the Champions League? If they'd have beaten, if they'd have beaten Everton and beaten Leicester, and sensible effort in those games would probably have achieved that, then they'd have a pretty pretty decent chance of making top four, which is obviously now gone. And this has actually been one of Ralph Rank's problems is that the other teams going for top four are also so rubbish that United have been in the hunt all along. So he hasn't really been in a position where he could start experimenting because he's still got to pick the players that he thinks are better. And I guess... You get to that point where you think, well, the players that you keep picking, that keep failing, they're not better. So maybe you should pick some different ones. But the different ones available to him, but there aren't that many of them because the ones who you think might make it aren't. A lot of them aren't around. Like James Garner's on loan, Ethan Laird's on loan, Dylan Levitt's on loan. So what options do you actually have apart from picking the players that you keep picking? You could take players who are even younger than those ones I just named, the ones that are in the youth team, um, who are sort of 17, 18, 19. But tossing them into this isn't necessarily what you would call good management because usually what you want to do with young players is you want to slowly integrate them into a team that's performing. So I do understand the situation that Ralph Rannick finds himself in. It's not a good one. I'm sure he was absolutely horrified by what he found. And when you hear him speak, he seems to have as much disregard for the players as everybody else does. Well, let, let me let me just on that because like, is Randy getting a bit of a free pass here? If Antonio Conte had come in and had these same results, he'd be gone by now because people would have said, "Well, whatever it is that you have isn't working for these players." Like. Is, is Rannick just not also, he's not a good football manager. He might be a brilliant architect of a club and structural engineer when it comes to how the back end <laughs> of football should run, but he might just not be a very good manager. That's definitely true, and that could well be part of it, but there's significant differences between him and Antonio Conte in that 
Antonio Conte, I mean, part of it is to do with being a good manager. Antonio Conte has proved himself to be a good manager. So when he comes in, the player's more likely to do what he says, but also he's staying. So there's a reason for the players to want to do what he says and want to impress them, because if they don't do it, then they're gone. And Ralph Radig, that's not the same thing. The players know, and they've been doing this for years, some of them, that it doesn't matter if you don't like this manager, if you don't put it in for this manager, because there'll be another one along in a minute. And so... Rannick, you'd think, should have some power because of the consultancy role, but he should have a dossier the size of the yellow pages that enables him to get tell the players that aren't, that aren't performing to get rid of them. But he doesn't have the same power that Antonio Conte has, and he doesn't have the same authority that Antonio Conte has either. And as I said, part of that is to do with probably not being as good as Antonio Conte, but also another part of it is to do with the fact that the circumstances are different. And Antonio Conte has a dressing room that has Harry Kane in it, for example, who's a serious professional, a leader, and he is able to... There's some, like he has more players, probably, who are able to take care of their own performances than Ralph Rangie does. That's, I mean, a damning indictment of everything that's happened at Manchester United over the last uh, decade or so. You know, you've got the England captain, you've got the greatest footballer of all time, or one of them, and there's a bunch of players in between, the highest paid goalkeeper in world football. Like, you know, you would you would expect that a good manager would have been able to get more out of this current setup, irrespective of the the um, the characters of the players. That's true. But maybe maybe the interim thing was was always going to be the problem, and maybe no interim manager was going to come in and be able to to do better than Ranić's doing at the moment. I mean, we've seen it work before. We've seen it work at Chelsea with Gus Hiddink, but again, he had serious professionals in that squad who had. First of all, they knew what to do because Mourinho had coached them into what to do. And also, you can't compare, just in terms of professionalism intensity, you can't compare what you've got, United have got to uh, Frank Lampard, to Didier Drogba, John Terry, Ricardo Carvalho, to those players. And what I was saying before about Skyped at work, I guess there is another side to that. That, I don't know, like if you're a public servant, let's say, like my dad was a teacher, he worked his ass off and he worked a lot harder than people in the private sector that we knew. And it wasn't because it was it wasn't because he, he was getting paid enough money to force him to do it. It's because he felt a sense of civic responsibility. He felt a sense of civic pride to earn his money and to do what he was doing because it made people happy and it helped people. And I think that this is something that definitely seems to be lost on a lot of this bunch of players. That they're not they don't, they're not really bothered by the bigger picture that people are putting in their hard earns to come and watch them play. Okay. And they... Uh, one of the one of the consequences of that will be that the new manager coming in is actually going to have to clear out most of those players because they are of the wrong character. And I, I, again, it's not to give Ranić a free pass, right? It's to say... No, no, definitely not. Like, he hasn't... I thought he would do a better job than he has. And when I look at it, I think, well, I blame the players for most of it. Because these players got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer fired as well. Some of them got Louis van Gaal fired and Jason Mourinho fired. So and that's, these, that's a pattern. These players are not going to change. That, like, if, if as you say, it is a pattern. So if you're Ten Hag, and, and I don't know if you've heard anything to the contrary about it not being Ten Hag at this point, it looks almost certain it'd be um, bizarre at this point if it wasn't him. But you know, stranger things have happened. He must be looking at that going. I'll definitely take a debrief for Maniac. I will definitely take that dossier and I will absolutely get them out the door as soon as possible. He, he needs to come in and blow that squad up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, well, that's, that's sort of the, the subtext of what's being reported at the moment. That, he's, that, that, that uh, Ten Hag is thinking about Leipzig 
and seeking assurances from United that he'll be able to do what he wants because other managers like United lost 4-0 at Everton in the first season of Solskjaer after it was good for a bit and then it went terrible for a while He and he said that most of these players won't be here next season and most of them were there next season and I doubt that was because Ole didn't want rid of them I mean I'm fairly sure he wanted rid of Pogba and Martial at that point but no, the, the club didn't sell them for him and so Ten Hag wants to know that if he comes in, he'll be able to work. And in order to be able to work, it's not just a matter of we'll give you 150 million quid net or whatever for ingoings and outgoings. It's you need to get rid of these players and they need to, and some of them they'll need to take a hit because they won't get the amount of money that they'd hope to get for those players. But it's not about that. It's about clearing out the squad to start again. And when you look at the United squad now, who'd you keep? I mean, Bruno Fernandes has signed and is also what just the best player in the team. Jaden Sancho is worth keeping. Um, I would want to keep Marcus Rashford because I know that he can be good. And um, he was actually a bit better on Saturday. I mean, not not saying much, but was a bit better. But the rest of them, I wouldn't mourn the loss of any of them. And I would celebrate the loss of almost all of them. And in order for Ten Hag to be able to come in and work, he needs players that will, that will work for him. And... Uh, he needs to, and I would, if I were him, I would also be wanting assurances. The problem is, is that it's like uh, Billy Connolly's old gag that if you want to be prime minister, that should automatically disqualify you from being prime minister if you're that kind of individual. If you believe what the Glazers tell you, then that should disqualify you from being manager of Man United because you can't believe what the Glazers tell you. Is Ten Hag your first choice out of the available candidates? I would say that anyone that purports to know the correct answer to this and be absolutely certain about this is someone to whom it's not worth listening about this or it probably is. Well, your first choice. Your, your I preference. Know. I don't know. I can make a case for Ten Hag. I can, make a taste, I can make a case for Pochettino. I can make a case against Ten Hag and I can make a case against Pochettino. Mm. And I don't know what the answer is. It might be that both of them are good enough. It might be that neither of them are good enough. You're competing against the two best managers. I mean... In the first instance, you're just competing against the idiots in the squad before we even think about who the other teams are. But ultimately, you're trying to compete against uh, Guardiola and Klopp, who are the best managers of, the, of, of, this, of this generation, who already have excellent, settled squads. And it may be that there's no one in the world that can build a squad to challenge because those two blokes are the best. And they also have teams that are ready, and Guardiola also has state wealth behind him. That is a lot to compete against. So if it turns out that neither of these two lads can do it, then that would not be altogether surprising. But to be, a- to be able to-, to think that you're in a position to say definitively, this one will do it and that one will not, there just isn't enough available evidence for that to be the case. So, I mean, I can say, I can say that I guess I find Ten Hag more interesting because he feels more like a coming man. We also just know less about him. And so I'm more interested in seeing maybe he can get to that level. Pochettino, I know, is excellent. And he has the charisma, the, a version of the charisma, not the same charisma, but everyone, every manager post-war who's had any success at United whatsoever, or got even proximate to success, really, has had charisma. So obviously Ferguson and Busby had it, but Ron Atkinson had it and Dave Sexton didn't. Tommy Doherty had it and David Moyes didn't. Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho had it. And uh, Oleg and Solskjaer didn't have it. So I know that Pochettino has that. 
Ten Hag, it's not clear that he does, although when you read about him, his players seem to love him, and maybe that's enough, and maybe the football itself could be that charisma. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, but, I'd, I'd prefer the, the like. Look, I, I get the point that you're making is that the other, all of the, the best managers in the world seem to have that charisma, and I wonder if that charisma though comes if it's chicken and egg that they start to get successful and they're like, actually, I can, I can now be somebody here as opposed to um, yeah, yeah, charisma like, defining their success. You look, at, you look at someone like Jurgen Klopp, or you look at Alex Ferguson, you see him interviewed, and it just it, it comes through the screen. Like those guys, those those guys didn't get charisma because they were good at football management. Their whole football management is based on their charisma. Guardiola's is more like that. That if he was just someone you met in the street, it wouldn't be obvious that he was a footballing savant that could that could change players' careers and think about the game in a different way to everybody else. I think Guardiola's charisma or his ability to get the players to do what he wants comes from the fact that they know that he'll make them a better player. Well, and, and look, I, I definitely accept that that's important. The most important thing, though, is buying the right players and getting the right players through and coaching them well. To, to go back to Conte for a moment, right? we obviously keep a very close eye on the career of Matt Doherty. He's one of our best and most important players. And he was out the door, it looked like, at Spurs. Certainly the last two managers had not found a use for him at right wing back, which is his best position. Conte came in and took a while to get him in the team. But when he got in the team, he started playing his best football and he gave him confidence. It, just to go back to that point where you were saying you'd be happy if, if the vast majority of players left under a good manager a load of those players would actually start playing good football again because they'd have a defined role they'd be given confidence they'd be allowed to make some mistakes not many but some and progress would be fairly self-evident because the manager is good and knows what they're doing but yeah that, that's sort of the point though isn't it that that's sort of the aggravation with these players is we know that they can do better and they're not bothered enough themselves to do better then personally, I don't care if they have the benefit of a good manager to make them better because I don't feel they've done enough themselves. And then at that point, they're not people I particularly want wearing the shirt of the club that I support. Like, I don't feel attached to them because it should also come from within. There's a responsibility to yourself. There's a responsibility to the club that you're playing for. There's a responsibility to the supporters that are paying your wages to put it in. And if this was a one-off where you say, well, Ole left, they couldn't find the manager, Rangnick didn't have the charisma to inspire them, blah, blah, blah. If it was just a one-off, then you might say, okay. But we've seen this before. They tossed it off under Mourinho. Some of the ones that were there tossed it off under Van Gaal. And it's gone on for so long that it gets to a point where you, you might, I would happily say, enough to almost all of them, that you had your chance to play for United. This is what you made of it. And now I'm happy for them to go somewhere else. If they go somewhere else, whatever. I don't, I, I don't really care too much. Whereas I think like someone like Matt Doherty, Matt Doherty wasn't getting picked because the managers didn't rate him. It wasn't a matter of Matt Doherty can't be asked. Matt Doherty is regularly playing in a team that is getting badly beaten by crap teams, by crap opponents. And you're seeing it again and again and again. That there's a lack of effort, there's a lack of intensity, there's a lack of personality, there's a lack of commitment, there's a lack of ability to do the basics. People aren't really saying that about Matt Doherty no. in the way that... And, the, and that is exactly what we're all saying about this United squad. And so I, I understand the comparison, but I don't think I don't think it's an exact one. And I'm absolutely certain that a great manager could come in and get more out of these players. But that doesn't mean I'm forgetting that these players have tossed it off yet again. And for that reason, I think that the privilege of playing for Man United is not one that I would happily bestow on them again under a different manager. Okay, the fixture list is is. Uh, a mixture of good and bad between now and the end of the season. What What's realistic in, in terms of what you think is going to happen? 
where will they finish and would it actually be better for them to finish out of the Europa League does it matter if, if or is it better if they are in the Europa League so that there's something to aim for from a cup perspective next season what's your I think I think financially it's worth being in the Europa League I'm sure the board will want them to be in the Europa League what you then do when you're in it different question maybe you just maybe you just play the youth team like the, the, the early stages of the Europa League is some of the most depressing football you'll see um, however for people that travel away definitely whilst they might appreciate a fallow year an opportunity like if you're watching United if you're watching United in Europe then you just want to go and have times in Europe with your mates and you might especially if, and if you're in a conference league you're getting some places you've never even heard of never mind places that you've never been before so there's also that that and there's also I think we might have talked about this recently that I remember the first season of Van Gaal United weren't in Europe and then they got knocked out by MK Dons in the first in the, in the right first round of the, whatever of the uh, League Cup and there was almost no football in the first half of the season so I guess as a supporter although watching United now feels like a punishment is a punishment um, it's quite depressing if you're used to playing twice a week that suddenly there's half the football to enjoy but that might be good for Ten Hag because it means or, or Pochettino that means you've got a lot more time on the training pitch to actually drill what you want your team to do because you're not constantly preparing for a game so I guess if you're asking me I'd probably take I'd probably reluctantly take Europa League because ultimately I like watching United play um, but Conference League, I guess at that point you, you wouldn't send any of your players to try and play in the Conference League. I mean, that would be, I mean, it's just an embarrassment being in that really for a team, not for everyone, but for a team of United stature, oh, yeah. a team of the quality that United have. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just like shame, shame on the players. So I think... I would make them play every game. That's it. You're right. It's shame on you. And that's why you are going and you're going to play every single minute of every game. I'm not using any of my five subs and you got us into this mess. Get us <laughs> out of it. Though, when, before the Everton game, I was thinking, because you say, like, what do I think will happen? Before the Everton game, I was just thinking, if you're Everton, United at home is the game you want. And that says it all. I mean, that should be humiliating for those players. But United at home... Norwich is the weekend. They're going to beat Norwich, right? We can say with confidence they're going to beat Norwich. They're on a good we? run. They're on a good run of one. Yeah. <clears throat> they beat Burnley. They did. United didn't, United didn't beat United Burnley. Beat Burnley. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. Okay. Um, and the problem, as I said, is that it's not like what you would want at this point. I think most supporters are saying, "Well, play the play the young players." And I think the problem is that there aren't that many young players to play because the good ones are just a little bit young. The under twenty threes, Alang has played, and he went off the boil. It feels like if Rangnick thought that Hannibal Mabry, Hannibal Mabry was good enough, he would have played him. Playing by yeah. now. Oh, look, you want to be the one Ultimately. that takes the, gives the caps, and you want to be Peter Taylor it, to David Beckham. He played Alanga. Yeah. He kept yeah. picking Alanga, and because he obviously thought Alanga was up to it, he presumably doesn't okay. think that about Hannibal. And so that's, he, I mean, he was on the bench at Everton, but it brought on matter. We've got to go. But yeah, another another manager who was uh, giving one mad at game time uh, at Manchester United. It's four managers later than we thought it would be, but that's the way it goes. Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million. See you again, everyone. Have a good day. Daniel Harris Bye. giving us his thoughts there. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. The modern day Darren Anderton is Jack Wilshire, yeah. says uh, David Bosang. That's possible. Yeah. Um, is he, is he? Who's he playing for now? He's this not even question. not even modern day. Somewhere in somewhere in Denmark. Arhus. Uh, 
in Bodby Trust says, well said, United hired an administrator instead of a manager and threw away season because of it. They need a total clear out of the players. Says Barry, Ranić should run like hell from United. Look at the confidence. It's on the ground. Too much sulking and player power, says Mark. Look at Rashford, his head is just gone. He wants out. Sam Maguire and seven more. It's simplistic to blame the manager, says Nigel, but it's also simplistic to just blame the players. Like, what happened? United were just unlucky to buy a bunch of lazy players. I mean, maybe. And maybe the culture when they got there was really toxic. And so, therefore... Um, it's it's this kind of perfect storm of shitness. Andrew says Potch would keep the current players. Ten Hag wants to clean the place out. That's what the holdup is with the contract negotiations. Manchester United board are scared of losing that power. Hashtag Ten Hag in. Yeah, is, is Antonio Conte the great the, the one that wriggled off the hook? And you're like, oh, I can't believe it's happened again. Because yeah, they could, they could have. He could be back. Uh, he might not stay at Spurs that long but the problem you see like Daniel wasn't excited about any particular manager there because it's hard to be because well, like what what even is success like what constitutes success for United in the next 12 in months the league, can you, no, no, but can no, but imagining, imagining well, what actually happens how would they make it successful ok a, a complete how? reboot of that squad improvement in players it takes a long time Darty esque improvement it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't reboot means loads out and loads in well uh, five out and two in is what Spurs did in the last transfer window and they've gone from being completely useless to having uh, the third most points since uh, Conte took over yeah, uh, behind the top two teams. Yeah. So that would be success. Five out, two in, change the culture, and let's go. Let's start it. The process started. It doesn't take forever. Yeah. Especially when the you have... come from the, the players. Oh, they're unhappy with uh, Ten Hag's training methods. Off you go. And we're back again. Off you go. We're back again. So what player is leaking? Off you go. You're you're the next five against the wall in the next transfer window. I think Why not? Like, I mean, that sounds great and everything, did. but I can't see that happening. When? when? Spurs spent um, they'd, they'd spent thirty million on Brian Heal, and he was like barely played a game for them. Off you go, off you go. Yeah, you're okay, on loan. Yeah, off you yeah, go. Conte's done great there with getting Delhi out, and then Bentancur and Kulusevski. Brilliant signings, yeah. And Conte knew them from Italy and brought them over. And Ten Hag, I, I wish Ten Hag really well. I hope it goes very well for him. I'm just finding it really difficult to imagine him being successful and it's nothing to do with him I just it's going to take so long for this to turn around again they've got so much money they've got so much money that they can have much sense though well that's the problem that is the issue OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 